Good morning. Let's come to God uh, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Good Friday. Uh, we thank you that Jesus entered this world, this world full of sin. He lived a perfect life and he went to that cross on Good Friday. We do thank you, Lord, that we have this date in our calendar just to think about all that you have done for us. And I just praise you, Lord, for that. And I just ask uh, that as we today, all across the world, people celebrate uh, your death on the cross for us. Uh, Lord, we would uh, go through this day, not through motions, but we would pause to reflect, to think, to thank you for Jesus being crucified for our sins. And I pray, Lord, that these few words that are put together, that my brothers and sisters are watching or listening to, I pray that there will be a great blessing to them. That they would, especially today, point them away from themselves and to Jesus crucified there. So Holy Spirit, I pray, I ask you to just be present with each one of us as we listen or watch this message. Be with us, Lord. Open our minds to, to hear what you have to say to us. We need you, Lord, to speak to us. We need you to, to show us the sinfulness of our sins and the full remedy for sin that is in Christ. Lord, help me to speak boldly as I ought. And I pray that the words that I preach, Lord, would not only speak to my brothers and sisters, Lord, today, but they would also speak to me. I need Christ. I need him crucified every day for my sins. And I thank you, Lord, that Jesus has died once and for all. And that he has taken away the full penalty that I deserve. And that I have been welcomed into your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that this will be true for many that are listening right now. Lord, I bless you, your name. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that we have the scriptures to speak to us concerning your grace. And I pray, Lord, that we just be, not just be hearers of your word, Lord, but we would hear it and put it into practice so that this word of God would not stand against us on judgment day. Thank you for all that you do for us as a fellowship and as individuals, Lord. Thank you for sustaining us during this lockdown period. We bless you, Lord. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I have titled the sermon today, The Crucified King. The Crucified King. And the message is from John 19, verse 16 to verse 30. This Good Friday morning, I want to speak to you about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. The late philosopher, uh, Christian philosopher Dallas Willard uh, famously said, Beliefs are the rails on which our lives ran. What he meant was that what we believe in life has consequences. It changes the way we live before God and the way we live before others. And there is no greater or more important belief for any of us, for any human being to have than this belief. That Jesus was crucified for me. Now, I know that is, that is quite a claim to make. So let me just show you briefly this morning why you and I um, need the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Please turn with me to John chapter 19, verse 16 to verse 30. It is Good Friday morning, or it is Good Friday, I should just say. Uh, it is Good Friday morning for us, but it is Good Friday uh, in the year AD 33. Our Lord Jesus Christ is facing a public trial in Jerusalem. Uh, he is before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. The Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, want Jesus dead. And they have whipped up the crowd to turn maximum heat on Pilate, on Pontius Pilate. Pilate has tried every trick in the book to, 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 to try and appease the bloodthirsty crowd. He has mocked the Lord Jesus. He has abused and he has flogged him. And Jesus is standing before Pilate, literally soaking in blood. And you'd think that that would be enough for the crowd, but no, the crowd is not having it. They have not seen enough. What they really want from Pontius Pilate is an official execution of Jesus. They want Jesus to die with full Roman approval. And they have warned Pilate that if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. So the Roman governor finds himself at this point checkmated by the Sanhedrin through the crowd. And so now in the verses before us, uh, he, has, he finds himself with literally no choice. We think he has a choice. But from politically, he finds himself with no choice but to just put Jesus to death. And so he hands him over to the Roman soldiers to crucify him. And in verse 19, chapter 19, verse 16 to 30, we have this account of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. We can summarize the truth of the crucifixion account in John 19, verse 16 to 30, in one sentence. We can say this. This is what it teaches us. Jesus is God our King, crucified for sinners. Jesus is God our King, crucified for sinners. The Bible teaches us that God is King. He is the Supreme Lord, Creator, and Sustainer of all things. That's what the Bible teaches us. Uh, he is the great king of all that was, of all that is, and of all that will be. But it also tells us that God is not fully reigning as king over every human being. He is not reigning, certainly, as he deserves to reign over every human being. Because humanity, you see, has rebelled against God, our king. We rebelled against him in the Garden of Eden. We declared independence from God. And since then, all of us are born into this world outside the kingdom of God. We are born outside its fullness and glory. And the consequence of being outside his kingdom is, is terrible. We, we are cut off from the very life of God. We are now under Satan's domain. We live in the domain of darkness, under Satan's power and control, under the power of the prince 
of, of the air, as Ephesians, the letter to the letter of Paul the Ephesians said. We are under the very wrath and judgment of God, hated to hell, to the utter gloom of darkness. But the good news of the Bible is that God has a plan to welcome us back into his kingdom. And this plan of God was forged in eternity past. It was forged by God before he even brought us into existence. And in the pages of the Bible, what we have essentially is a single story. It is a story of how God is working through human history to unveil his kingdom. It starts in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. And at the heart of this story, you see, is the coming of God himself. It's the coming of God the Son in the person of Jesus. God has entered this world. He entered this world at that first Christmas. And then he lived a perfect life and went to the cross to lay down his life for our sins. Right there on the cross was God dying for us in order to open wide the gates into his eternal kingdom, in order to do that for us. At the heart of the biblical drama is that Jesus has come to suffer punishment on the cross in our place so that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus will immediately enter the kingdom of God. At the heart of the biblical drama is this earth-shaking truth we are looking at at this moment. That Jesus is God, our King, crucified for us. This is what this passage teaches us. So please look with me. Just to, We're going to walk through this just for me to show you how this passage teaches us that Jesus is God, our King, crucified for us. Look with me there at John 19, verse 16. As I said, Pilate has now finished the trial. He's been checkmated. Let's read verse 16 to verse 17. So he delivered him over to them. That's Pilate delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, verse 17, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Now, if we are watching this on video, John's video, we might say, we can see Jesus is bleeding heavily all over his body. He is struggling to support his body. He is struggling to support even his own body, let alone this heavy wooden cross beam that he's carrying. And we can see our Lord Jesus there painfully staggering on to Golgotha, on that Golgotha road. And we can see him there just perhaps having fallen face down and skinned and bruised beneath that crossbeam. And we can see the soldiers, as Jesus is staggering, falling, falling down, they're becoming impatient at all of this. And Matthew, in his gospel, has that at the moment when Jesus falls down, um, as he becomes, finds it quite difficult to just stagger on. The, 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 the impatience of the soldiers means that they now compel Simon of Cyrene to help Jesus carry this heavy crossbeam. And so together, Jesus and Simon, they, 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 they finally make their way to 
Golgotha. And we read in verse 18, there at Golgotha, they crucified him. There they crucified him. And as we are watching this crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, what are we seeing? Well, as we watch, we can see four soldiers taking the crossbeam of Jesus and Simon. They place it on a rocky ground. And then they get Jesus and they stretch him out on this crossbeam. They have stripped him all off. And he's lying there naked, drenched in blood on this crossbeam. And then we can see one of the soldiers uh, pick a large iron, a large iron pike, a large iron nail, 16 centimeter long and one centimeter wide. And he places this large nail, this large spike, this large nail against the wrist of Jesus. And then he swings his hammer high and this nail pounds through Jesus' flesh deep into the timber. And then seconds later, the, the second spike is, is, is pounded again. Now Jesus is impaled on the crossbeam. And the soldiers now raise up the beam while Jesus hangs there bleeding. His body is fastened to the upright timber. And they grab his feet and place one feet on top of the other. And again, the first soldier swings the hammer. And a single nail spike drives through Jesus' flesh, through his heel bones. It goes straight into the wood of the cross. And Jesus is now crucified. The soldiers have done their part. Jesus is now there, crucified, in between these two, the two criminals. And now the agony begins. Because you see, crucifixion is death by exhaustion. The weight of Jesus' body is increasingly compressing his lungs. And every breath Jesus is taking is difficult and infinitely painful. Now, now, today, people, of course, wear the cross as a fashion accessory. But not for the Romans, it wasn't. The Roman philosopher Cicero calls the crucifixion the most cruel and shameful of all punishments. The Jewish historian Josephus, writing at the time, called it the most wretched of deaths. You see, to the Jews, it is a curse to be hanged on a tree. As Paul himself says the same thing in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. But Jesus, you see here, is dying on this cursed cross by choice. Whatever you think of the death of Jesus, this crucifixion of Jesus, understand this crucial truth. Jesus his death is not a tragedy. His death is not an accident. This crucifixion of Jesus is a crucifixion by choice. Jesus has chosen to die a cursed death. Why? Because he has come to be the king of cursed sinners. And that's what we see in verse 18 to 20. 
He says, there they crucified him and with him two others. One on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. You see, Pontius Pilate has written this inscription, we might call it, this placard on the cross to mock the Jews. But God is sovereignly in his power and planning, is using Pilate to shout from the rooftop that Jesus is God. To shout from the cross that Jesus is God, our King, crucified for sinners. John has already taught us that Jesus is God, dressed in human flesh. Those are the first words we read in the Gospel of John. We read from John chapter 1. Verse 1 to 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made. Who is the Word? Who is this He? Who is this Word? Well, verse 14 of chapter 1 answers. It says, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the son, as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 18 leaves us in no doubt, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John is told us from the beginning that Jesus is God. And so as we come and, and as John tells us that Jesus is being crucified there as king, what, what John is telling us is that now on the cross, what we're seeing now is that Jesus is God, our king, dying for us. The sign there you see that Pilate has put on the cross declares Jesus is king in three languages. Hebrew the language of religion. Latin, the language of government. Greek, the language of knowledge and culture. This sign, this placard, therefore, is publicizing that Jesus is God our King being crucified in our place. For sinners all across the world, He is suffering punishment on behalf of rotten, vile sinners. You see, the crucified king is stretched out among two criminals on the cross. Why? Because these two criminals represent all of us. That's why. You see, like them, we have all rebelled against God. Like them, we deserve death for our sin. But Jesus is dying on that cross on Good Friday to take away our judgment and disaster. The nailed hands of Jesus are outstretched on that cross for you. 
They are the hands of God calling you to himself. As Jesus is dying there, he's looking at you. And he's saying to all of us, come, enter my kingdom. You are a sinner under God's judgment, under God's punishment. But I am bleeding to death on the cross for you. I am suffering in your place. I am paying for your punishment. Regardless of your language, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your economic status, regardless of your gender, Jesus is saying, I am doing this for you. And I want you to come and enter my kingdom. You are the one I am dying for. You can enter my kingdom right away if you put your trust in my death to save you. Not in the things you do. Your good deeds are like filthy rats. You can never be good enough for me. But my death is fully sufficient to bring you in. Trust my death for your sin. Let my blood make you good enough to enter the kingdom. Let my blood clean you from sin. Surrender to me now. That's what Jesus is saying as he dies on that cross. Suddenly, as we see Jesus dying there, John switches his camera away from Jesus. And we are now back at Pilate's mansion in Jerusalem. The religious leaders have come to see Pilate. They've budged in into his mansion. Let's read verse 21 to verse 22. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather write, This man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The camera again switches us back to the cross now. We can see Jesus hanging there, stripped of all his dignity. The soldiers are sharing his clothes among them. Let's read on verse 23 to verse 24. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. This is the undergarment. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for, for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. What is going on here? What is John trying to tell us here? Uh, telling us about the chief priest barging into Pilate, demanding the placard to be removed, and then moving us back to see the soldiers there ransacking Jesus taking away all of his clothes. What is he trying to tell us? Go. What John wants us to see 
in these verses is that he wants us to see what refusing to wave the white flag of surrender to King Jesus means for each of us. You see, when we draw a line in the sand against Jesus our King, when we say we don't want to surrender our lives to Jesus, we are being like the Jewish leaders. We are saying like them, I prefer Jesus dead than alive. When we refuse to give up control to King Jesus, we are being like the soldiers. You are stripping Jesus of his majesty and his honor. You are stripping all all of him naked. You are shaming your God. What a horrendous thing. What a terrible thing. To know Jesus has come to be crucified for you, but you show him the door to leave you alone. You don't want him. What a heinous crime against your maker. He who brought you into existence. Jesus is the Lord of glory crucified for us. It is the Lord of angels who has become our servant on that cross. It is the Lord of life shedding his blood. It is God the Son that has infinitely gone to the dogs below himself for us. To be crucified for us. For you, my friend, for you. He that is greater than heaven itself has stooped down for you. To refuse to surrender to Jesus, this King of kings and Lord of lords, to strip him naked, to strip him of all his honor and glory, to shame him by rejecting him, deserves nothing short of everlasting condemnation. Nothing short but eternal gloom of utter darkness. All who reject Jesus choose instead to suffer for shaming their King. Now our Lord Jesus does not want any of us to suffer eternally at the hands of the omnipotent God. And that is why he is suffering shame, suffering death, and allowing himself to take on himself the very wrath of God that you and I deserve. That's why Jesus is dying on that cross for you. He wants you in his kingdom. He wants me in his kingdom. And that is the point John drives home as he points the camera away now from the soldiers and back to the cross of Jesus. Let's read on verse 25 to verse 30. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, 
knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know, there are a lot of details we can pick on them. There is a love of Jesus for his mother. There is Jesus' commitment to John the disciple and his trust in John. There is the humanity of Jesus as he thirsts for water. He who had earlier in John said that if anyone thirsts should come to him, now he himself thirsts because he's fully human. There are many things we can mention. But what John wants us to focus on are the last words of Jesus, our crucified king, invested. Let's read that again. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What is finished? Everything. The job of opening the door of his kingdom to sinners is done. In the death of Jesus on the cross, God's justice and love have now kissed. They have now embraced. The punishment is paid. All undeserved, rotten, wretched sinners who surrender to Jesus the King can now become members of his kingdom right away. In the crucifixion of Jesus, the love of God has successfully reached out to turn repentant rebels into full, citizenship, full, full citizens of his kingdom, into his beloved children. Because Jesus has died, there is now no excuse for anyone not to enter the kingdom of God. We, you and I cannot open the gate of the kingdom of God. We cannot open it and force our way in. Its righteousness and holiness and splendor just repels us. No one can force themselves into the kingdom of Christ. But on Good Friday, that's why it's called Good Friday. On Good Friday, God the Son, our Lord Jesus, the King of glory, opened the eternal gate shaped in the form of the cross, in the cross of Jesus. And because he has opened the gate, all who enter through the gate of the cross have eternal life. All who enter through the cross of Jesus have eternal life. How are you going to respond to the reality of Good Friday? How are you going to respond to this good news of Good Friday? That Jesus is God our King, crucified for you. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to continue rejecting the kingship of Jesus like the religious leaders? Are you going to continue shaming your God? 
Are you going to continue stripping the Lord of glory, Jesus, naked by your sin? Are you going to continue to refuse to surrender every inch of your life to him? There is only one way for us to respond. You must surrender your life to Jesus, the crucified king. And you must do it like the women standing on the foot of the cross. Did you miss that? Look at verse 25. After John has told us all that the soldiers are doing, he starts verse 25 with a bat. In contrast to everything we've seen, but standing by the cross of Jesus. I love that, the cross of Jesus. Where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. These women are by the foot of the cross because they believe salvation is found in no one else except Jesus, except this man Jesus dying on the cross for them. What they believe in their hearts, they are showing in their behavior by following literally Jesus to his death. And this is what true faith in Jesus looks like. It is standing with Jesus at his cross. It is us putting our full trust in him as our king. It is giving up, as these women have done, giving up, living for yourself. Putting Jesus first in everything. Regardless of the danger that implies for us from the world. Now, this is difficult for many people to accept, this surrendering to Jesus. But look at the love of Jesus on that cross for you. Look at what Jesus offers for you. To bring you at the center of the eternal plan of God. To give you a life, a hope, a future with him. Eternal life in his kingdom. The new heavens, the new earth, the ministry of the Holy Spirit now to bring you at the eternal triangle of love of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit to make you share in union with him. To be a partaker of the divine nature as Second Peter reminds us. These are tremendous blessings. Grab it now with both hands. Tell Jesus you repent of your sin and fully surrender your life to him. And this moment, you will enter his kingdom. Now, some of you have already entered the kingdom of God. You are trusting in Jesus. And Good Friday is a wonderful day for you. But what does Jesus being crucified on Good Friday mean to you? Well, it is a river of comfort, isn't it? Because no matter how long we walk in Jesus, there are moments when we doubt whether we truly belong to him. You see, sometimes we stumble in some sin, and after a struggle, we repent from it. But then doubts start creeping in. 
Do I really know Jesus? Am I truly saved? If I'm saved, how could I stumble like that? Or sometimes we find ourselves, not because of sin, we just find ourselves in some trial. Like the current lockdown that we're in. Some have jobs being threatened. Some people don't know what their future holds for them. Many are worried about what life will bring in the future. And you know, when we have trials like the one we're experiencing now, or even the deeper ones that you may be having in your life, sickness of a loved one or, or some other thing, perhaps just feeling perpetually low with life. When we face trials like that, the devil is always around to whisper, isn't he? He's always there. He's saying, look, if you truly is, you know, if you truly belong to God, why is God letting it happen to you? Where is God in all of this? Beloved, listen to the words of Jesus as he breathes his last on Good Friday, in verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It is finished. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are now living in the kingdom of God. Jesus has said it, you must believe it, it is finished. Your sins have been paid, you must believe that. There is no reason for you to doubt. If you're in, you're in. Jesus never lies. And you're no longer alone. If you are in, all of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all of God is working for you. And God has prepared a great future for you. You are no longer in this life alone. Why? Because Jesus says it is finished. If you remember anything from the message today, remember this. Jesus is God our King who has moved heaven and earth to bring you home. You were once outside his kingdom like the rest of the world. You were happily hostile to Jesus like the religious leaders and the soldiers. And then Jesus came. He came for you, beloved, in that one way love pursuit of his he convinced you of your sin and he made you surrender to his kingship. That was not your own doing. That was all him. Just as the cross is his idea, him coming to rescue you, convincing you of sin was his idea. And beloved, his keeping of you even now is his idea. And the future that lies ahead of you is his idea too. Your relationship with Jesus has always been a one-way love from him to you. It is always on his account. You contribute nothing. It is all grace. You know, sometimes you forget that, don't you? I forget that. You forget that you're only in Jesus because he perseveres with you. Oh, beloved, Think of all the times you have rejected Jesus. Think of how you still now, even now, go back to the spiritual vomit of rebellion in so many ways. Think of how you foolishly waste time. 
Think of all the trivial things you spend time on rather than thinking of Jesus. Think of how little you evangelize. Think of your lack of love for others that you, you know you're meant to, but you don't have. Think of your low commitment to Christ in so many ways. And yet, in all of these things, beloved, Jesus is still saying to you, we are stuck together because I shed my blood on the cross for your sins. So this Good Friday, let the truth of the crucifixion of Jesus remind you of how much he has loved you, how much he is still loving you, and how much he is always going to love you. Let this truth of Jesus, our crucified King, for us fill you with overflowing thankfulness. Let this be the truth that defines how you spend time during this lockdown. Let this truth be what you depend on every day. Take time, particularly today, to tell Jesus how thankful you are for saving you from sin. Tell him, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for bringing me home. Thank you for taking my place on that bloody cross. Thank you, Jesus, for those Roman nails, for bearing the Roman nails to bring me home. Oh, Jesus, I praise you for your floodgates of love and grace are flowing for me. Thank you, Jesus, for bleeding and dying for me. And then tell Jesus in the words of the hymn writer, Bearing shame and scoffing root, In my place condemned he stood, Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! What a savior. And don't stop there. Sing along with another hymn writer who reminds us, Love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my home. Jesus, our wonderful crucified King, deserves nothing less. What a privilege to have him as our King. To him alone be glory forever and ever. Amen.